Hope everyone's doing good today. Hopefully we'll have a non-rainy week. I'm tired of all the rain we've been having around here. You know, it's getting to be May. And, you know, April showers bring May flowers, so I'm ready for the Mayflower and not, or Mayflowers. And I'm tired of all the April showers. All right. Today we're going to talk about troubles, trials. You know, sometimes it seems, because as a Christian, a lot of times, you know, we have awesome services where we're shouting and dancing and running or whatever. And, you know, people get saved and their life changes and people are all excited about the things of God. We get excited about, you know, whenever we, we have spiritual wins and things like that. But I'm here to tell you is that each and every one of us go through trials and tribulations. All right. And the reason I want to point that out, because a lot of times when you listen to modern day preachers preach, you would think that nothing ever happens to them. You know, if someone gives their testimony, it's like pre-Christ testimony. Like, you know, I was going through all this situation and all of a sudden I got saved and then poof, it's, there's no trouble. But, um, I know I hate asking these questions, but, um, how many, because, you know, half the time people don't answer or, or they're, they haven't done it, so they don't want to answer. But how many have, have read after the Apostle Paul in the New Testament? Anybody? I know Tony hasn't because he hasn't raised his hand. <laughs> Tony's a liar. It's okay. I, we do podcasts together. And I'm just kidding. Sometimes. Anyway. But, you know, we've all read after Paul. Now... If you read after Paul, most, I will say most Christians, we focus in on the positive verses, you know, the great things. But if you really read and study about Paul's life, he had a lot of trials. He had a lot of tribulation. You know, he, he, was, he was beaten. He was left for dead. He was bit by a snake. He was shipwrecked. All of these kind of things. But Paul continued to talk about you know, how he finished his course with joy, how he was joyful, how, you know, there, there is no better job than the job that I have. I mean, see, Paul was always joyful, but, you know, I, I think that we need to understand, I think um, he talked, the trials are in the, the Bible for a reason, so you can know that you are going to face trials in life. And really, when trials come, you know what to do. That was one thing. Paul talked us a lot of things to do whenever trials, tribulations, circumstances come. You know what to do, and you know how, how, how to, to face those. Um, so if you know what to do, then you should never be crying out, I don't know what to do. See, what happens is, you know, when we're in a room of a bunch of Christians and we're all praising God, everything's awesome. But when we're all by ourselves, and we're going through a situation, or maybe you're sitting in a doctor's office and the doctor gives you bad news, or, or you know, you open some kind of bills and, and that's bad news, or, or you get a, one of these letters that tells you you've got to be out of your house in 30 days, that's not really good news. All right? So what do you do when you get bad news? Well, you know, my grandfather always taught me, what does the word say? 
The Bible says it, I believe it, and that settles it. See, he never questioned, you know, if there's a scripture in the Bible, he, he never questioned what, what to do. Now, the scripture that I like to read is um, James chapter 1, um, verse number 2. And we're going to read it from a number of different versions. We're going to start out with the new King James. It says this, my brethren, count it all joy when you fall into various trials. Now notice the word there says when. It doesn't say if. It doesn't say, you know, maybe it happens. It says you're going to face various trials. So I want you to put that in your mind. Trials are going to come. Trials are a part of life, whether you're a Christian or not. Now, the thing is, is that we have an advantage. You know, sometimes, you know, well, not sometimes, whenever, whenever there's a sporting event, you know, one team always has home field advantage, but you have a better advantage at home field. You, you, do you realize that you have the winner on the inside? We just don't have home field advantage. We know the outcome before the game starts. We know the outcome in the middle of the game. So um, now if we look at another version, let, let's look at the, um, the New Living Translation. It says this, dear brothers and sisters, when, all right, when troubles of any kind come your way, consider it an opportunity for great joy. Now we're talking about the joy in a minute, but we're talking about troubles and trials here. Um, the Passion Translation says this, my fellow believers, when it seems as though you are facing nothing but difficulties, nothing but difficulties, a tough time. Well, what do we do? Um, see it as an invaluable opportunity to experience the greatest joy that you can. So what does the Bible say? Remember, the Bible says it. I believe in that says it. The Bible says you are going to face trials and difficulties. All right, so get that through your head. So when you face a trial and difficulty, instead of crying about it, instead of complaining about it, instead of getting mad about it, instead of saying, I just don't know what to do, well, what should we do? Laugh about it. That's what the Bible says. Have great joy. Now, and it says it's an opportunity for joy. It doesn't say it will be joyful. I'm telling you what, you're not going to feel joyful when you're going through difficult times. But we've all been taught we're not moved by what we feel. Well, if you're not moved by what you feel, then you won't act like you're moved by what you feel. All right, now here's the problem. What happens is, is unlike the Apostle Paul, most of the time whenever we start facing difficulties and challenges, we start looking at what might happen if the challenges win. All right, so I'm gonna give you a great example. Now, most of you know that I call myself a Googleologist, all right? 
I like to research things. I, I mean, I like to study things. I like to figure out, you know, things. I'm, I'm just that kind of person. I mean, I'm the kind of guy that you can text and you can ask me what, you know, tell me, you know, you can tell me a word to research and I'll tell you, why don't you research it yourself? And then at two in the morning when I have nothing to do, I'm out there researching it and send you six pages of places because you asked me, now I'm curious why you want to research it. So I, I like to research things. So, I mean, most of you here have been in church a while know that I have, I've dealt with some kidney issues over the years. You know, and um, just to let you know, it's my fourth uncurable disease that, that I have, that I've gone through. All right. Fourth, four, number four, because, um, they told me that, um, when I asked, well, what causes this? They gave me the cool answer. Like, I don't know. At the time I was really heavy. Actually, the first time it was like 350. And I said, is it cause I'm fat? So you know what the answer was? She says, well, you should lose some weight. Okay. Um, but I have a guy who's also has the same thing that you have, and he's a marathon runner. Now, she didn't tell me he's skinny, but I'm, I'm assuming if you run, what, 26 point, how, how, how long's a marathon? <laughs> so if you run a marathon, you're probably not 350 pounds. And if you are, I want to meet you. <laughs> I want to know how I can run a marathon and be fat. So you know, not, not really, I don't want to really know how, but so the point was, is now what the doctor said is I have some, it's, it's a long name. So what they do is they, they shorten it's called FSGS. All right. FSGS. Now I will say I actually did Google it Google some symptoms. Cause I want to really kind of know a little bit about it, but I didn't do a lot of deep research. You know why I didn't do a lot of deep research? Because my wife did, but not because I wanted her to, because I just told her I don't care. And I really don't care. <laughs> if I say I don't care, I actually mean I don't care. All right? I mean, if, if you get me to a point and you say I, I don't care, I literally mean I don't care. Because if you want to read what happens with FSGS, ultimately it's going to end in dialysis, and um, kidney issues, losing kidneys, that kind of, you know, those are all the negative things that it could lead to. Um, but why would I focus on something that's not going to happen in my life? And see, that's the key. If you're focusing on something that's not going to happen in your life, it will probably happen in your life because that's what you're focusing on. If you really believe what the outcome is going to be, then you don't focus on another outcome. All right, you know, two plus two is four and it will always be four. And I don't care if you tell me, yeah, but I, I added two and two and I got five and I'll tell you no. Now, I, I get it, you know, I'm, I'm telling you what really happens but then I'm, I'm telling you to, to go against the grain. But when it comes to Christianity, you know, my two plus two isn't, your, is, isn't what the world two plus two is. You know, they might say there's no way. And I'm like, you know what? doesn't matter. 
Doesn't matter how hard, hard it is. Now, I will say, now, I'm, I'm, you know, I'm in remission because they won't tell me that I'm healed. Doctors don't like to tell you you're healed. They want to tell you you're, you're in remission because they want you to put it in the back of your mind, it's going to come back. All right, well, in fact, one of my other incurable diseases was reoccurring chondriitis or something like I don't know. It's something that attacks the, the, um, the um, what do you call it, um, cartilage in your body. And I, know, I, I had what I thought was an ear infection. They said, no, you have this disease. But this is before Google was as big as it was. And the doctor like freaked out. I've never seen anybody else. This, this is such a rare disease. I, I mean, I only know one other person um, that some, one of my friends treats. He, came, he gives me all these medical book things that I never read. Um, you know, because why do I need to read about something that's going to reoccur when it's not going to reoccur in my life? He, he kept telling me, it'll affect any cartilage in your body, your knees, your elbow, anywhere you have cartilage, it's going to affect, and there's no way you're going to get rid of it. And we don't know why you have it. You just do. But see, I know why I have it, or why it, I had the symptoms of it, because that, you know, if you talk to my grandfather, he will never, never would say he had anything. He said he had the symptoms. The reason I had the symptoms is because the devil is real. And the devil's good at what he does, and everybody knows that I read John 10, 10 a lot. All right? And so the New Living says it this way, John 10, 10, the thief's purpose is to steal, to kill, and to destroy. All right? So the devil is going to try to bring stuff to you and put stuff on you. That's what his purpose, that's what he does. Everybody has a job, and the devil has that one. All right, and so you know, the devil is the same yesterday, today, and forever, just like Jesus is. You know the same devil that, that it comes against you and tempts you and, and puts trials on you is the same devil that was there in the Garden of Eden with Adam and Eve? Yeah. Now here's the other side about it is, as, you know, our generation, you know, because of all kinds of technology and everything, we're a lot smarter than people were back then. But the de- you know, just like we adapt, the devil adapts. And so his, his temptation is a little bit different because you know what? He's not gonna come say, just don't eat from the tree. I mean, you know, I mean, go ahead and eat from the tree because it's, it's okay. You know, he's, he's gonna tempt you where you're able to be tempted. But he's gonna put trials and tribulations on you. It's, it's okay. I mean, it's gonna happen. All right, even Jesus said, he was telling his disciples it's going to happen. But he says this, um, but my purpose is to give them a rich and satisfying life. Now the new, the, the, the Passion translation says this, a thief has only one thing in mind. He wants to steal, slaughter, and to destroy. But I have come to give you everything in abundance, more than you expect, life in its fullness, until you overflow. That, that's what Jesus did. So, okay. So when we face a test and a trial and a tribulation, then we're like, that's the devil being the devil. All right? That, that's just, so you can identify the devil's trying to attack me. I get it. He does that all the time. What's new? All right? But then when I know that Jesus came 
that I can have life and have it more abundantly, or in this situation it says, I've come to give you everything in abundance, more than you expect. That sounds like Ephesians 3.20, by the way. Um, Life in its fullness until you overflow. So if I know that I got Jesus, why am I not going to have joy? Now, like I said, this is an opp- it's an opportunity to, for you to show whether you believe what you believe or you don't believe what you believe. Because I'm here to tell you, you're going to have trials and tribulations. And I know most preachers don't want to preach about it. And, um, you know, it's, it's going to happen. And it's just that way. And you can gripe about paying more money for milk and more money for fuel and whatever as of right now, I don't see the economy getting any better at this point in time unless someone makes some tough decisions. So just quit griping and thank God. Yeah, but it's tough. You know, you can have what you say you can have. Yeah, yeah, but I don't have enough money to pay for my groceries. Well, you keep saying you'll never have it. You know, what we need to do is just be happy. Now, you know, back to my kidney things, you know, I never made a big deal about it. I mean, I don't let it bother me. Because why would I let something bother me that's not going to happen to my life anyway? And see, if you're letting something bother you, if you're thinking that you might not make it, if you're thinking that you might not get through, if you're thinking that it's really tough, you need to change your thinking. You need to think in line with God's word. Well, so how do we achieve this kind of joy when, you know, we don't feel joyful? First of all, you just got to put your trust in God. All right. I actually came up with a statement, I don't know, about 20 years ago. Um, TRG, total reliance on God. You know, sometimes the best thing is, I I know this sounds kind of bad, you know, and I'm not saying it's, you know, but because I had an incurable disease, do you realize that the only way I'm going to get out of it is God? And so sometimes it's, you know, that makes it easy because you know what? There's nothing I can do. I can take a little bit of medication, but it's not going to cure my situation, the doctor says. It might make it more controllable. But you know what? I, I know God. You know, a lot of people like to name drop a lot of, lot of things or whatever. But I, I, you know, I don't have to name drop. I, I really know God. I mean, I actually really know him. Because a lot of times when people name drop, they don't even know the person. They happen to be Facebook friends. You know, or their cousin's best friend's brother is really good friends with that person. So that makes them, you know, you know they're, they're like five degrees from the person or something like that. You know, you've, you've played the degrees of Kevin Bacon. Everyone here is related to Kevin Bacon somehow, some way. I, I don't know how I am. But I saw the movie, Footloose. That makes me, oh man. <laughs> anyway, so what, what should we do to achieve joy? How, how do we be joyful in the middle of our trials? Well, we do what the Bible says. Well, what does the Bible say, Craig? Well, 1 Peter 5, 7. I'm going to read it from the Passion Translation. 1 Peter 5, 7 says this, pour out your worries and stress upon him and leave them there 
for he always tenderly cares for you. So it says, if you're worried, if you're stressed, then what you need to do is pour those out onto God. Now here's the thing. And then the next part says, and leave them there. Now, if you pour out your worries and stress and you give this to God, remember total reliance on God, then you do not have any more worries and stress, correct? It's pretty, it's pretty simple, it's a math equation. All right, let's say I have, um, oh cool, I got things in here. <laughs> These are my worries and stress. All right, I'm worried about not having enough water and not enough snot rags. All right, so let's put God over here. So if I'm going to give my worries and stress to, to God, then now they're God's, all right? These are mine, these are God's. All right, if I'm still worried about not having enough snot rags, when I gave my snot rags to God, I, I don't have to worry about it anymore because he's taking care of those things. So if, I, if, if you're continuing to worry about something that God's dealing with, then you, know, you need to be a doer of God's word. If God has your problems, you have no problem. I'm mean, once again, if God has your problems, you have no problem. If you, see, the problem is, is when you want to stand over here by your problems because you want to make sure that they're yours. And, you know, so, you know, many people like to give things to God, you know, but we want to say, okay, God, you worry about them, but, you know, I also want to worry about them too. Because if I don't worry about these problems, what else am I going to do in the day? I mean, what else am I going to do? Because see, whenever I'm not worried about my problems, when they're over here and I'm over here, I'm like, well, I can't worry about problems, so I'm just going to be happy. Now, if I'm worried about my problems, I'm not happy. Does everyone get it? And I can, I can clap my hands over here. That doesn't make me happy. What do you mean? Well, when you're happy and you know it, clap your hands. But if, if I'm still holding on to my problems, actually, you know what? It's hard, it's hard to clap your hands when you're holding on to problems. But if I don't have these problems, it's real easy to clap my hands because I don't have anything to worry about. Now, if I have nothing to worry about, that's when I can be joyful. You know, I think sometimes Christians are only joyful at Christmas time. You know, because they sing about joyful and triumphant and O come ye, O come ye to Bethlehem and all these joy songs, you know. Or a lot of Christians are waiting to the morning. You know, they heard the, well, joy comes in the morning. <laughs> the Bible says to have joy in the middle of your situations that are, that are not cool. Doesn't matter what your situation is, you have joy. All right, um, you know, going to um, Philippians, you know, being a doer of the word, um, it says Philippians 4.4, 4, New Living says this, always be full of joy. 
That's kind of a command. It, it doesn't say that when things are going good, be full of joy. It uses this word always. Always means all the time. So I'm here to tell you, and I, I, I want you to think about this the next time you get in an argument with somebody. The Bible says always be full of joy. So if you're not full of joy, you're not doing what the word says. So instead of being mad, you should be full of joy. Now, if you think about that, then you'll start clapping your hands or doing something like that. And you might quit fighting. Um, but anyway, it says always be full of joy. And it goes again, it says, and I say it again, rejoice. Now, interesting, the word rejoice is a compound word meaning re and joy. So that means you need to stir up that joy again. Get your chocolate spoon, chocolate milk spoon. We talked about it. If you don't know it, it uh, I preached it a few, few weeks ago. Stir up your joy. Be happy in the middle of trials and tribulations because trials and tribulations are going to happen, but they're not going to take you down. Why are they going to take you down? Well, because he lives. I mean, that's, you know, the song, because he lives, all fear is gone. I mean, you know, all, all these kind of things, you know, the greater one lives on the inside of me. If I really know who I am in Christ Jesus, I'm not going to let a trial or a tribulation lose my joy. I mean, you know, I mean, what am I going to do? Get mad about it? I mean, I mean, first of all, these are not my problems anymore. You have to get to that mental picture. Maybe you need to make up, you know, you know, whatever your problems are, you know, put them right on pieces of paper and then, and then get a God pile, not a dog pile, a God pile and put it over there and remind yourself that you have no problems. God has all your problems. So don't worry about his problems because your problems are now his problems. They're not your problems to worry about. Your job is to be happy, be joyful. Because you know what? Here's, here, this, is what this, this comes down to the whole faith thing. Because whenever the answer, when, when you experience the answer to your problems, that's usually when people get joyful and happy. You know... One of, one of my, my grandmother, my mom's mom, grandma, grandmother Tipton, one of her favorite shows to watch was The Price is Right. If you ever was there, you know, actually one of my dreams was actually, I, and I, even, I even offered one time as I got older, I want to take you to California, get, try to get you on The Price is Right program. No, no, I don't want to do that. I said, you watch it every stinking day for 50 years. I mean, you know, you know however long, you know, but my favorite thing in The Price is Right is whenever we hear the announcement, a new car! <laughs> you know, now the only thing about it is on The Price is Right, in order to get a new car, you actually have to play the game and win. But if somebody shows up in your driveway with a new car and said, these keys are for you, you're probably going to experience joy. Even if it's not the one you wanted, hey, if you get a, a new car, it's pretty awesome. All right? You would experience joy. But, but what James is saying, you know what? You should experience the same joy when you're in the middle of the trial and tribulation because a new car is coming. 
or whatever the answer to your situation is, it's on the way, so just be joyful about it now because you have faith that, that, that you know the outcome. When you know the outcome before the end, it doesn't matter. Why worry about something? Whatever you know the outcome is, we win. See, you have to have the winning attitude in the middle of the battle. Now, um, I'm running out of time. Anyway, no, no, it is good, but I have a lot more things I want to say, so I'm running out of time. All right, going on, the next part, um, and we'll read this. I don't know, I'll look at my notes. We're going to read this part from the, um, the Passion once again, James 1, 3. And four, it says, for you know that when your faith is tested, it stirs up in you the power of endurance. And then as your endurance grows even stronger, it will release perfection into every part of your being until there is nothing missing and nothing lacking. Now, what I want to tell you folks I actually really appreciate that James put here, put this in here because a lot of times whenever we read things and see things, whenever people are going through issues and they had faith, they got an instant healing and we think it also happened that way. The point is there's gonna be some times that you're gonna endure a battle. All right? But just because you endure a battle, just because it doesn't happen overnight doesn't mean we, we stop our faith. All right, this is, you know, where over in Ephesians, we're talking about putting on the, the full armor of God. And it says, having done all, stand. And the next verse you know, tells us, keep standing. It doesn't say to retreat. Doesn't. So what do we do when we're standing? We stand and endure. All right, the devil is, is attacking us. All right, in, in fact, going back to 1 Peter, 1 Peter 5, 8, 9, um, the passion once again, it says, be well balanced and always alert because your enemy, the devil, roams around um, incessantly like a roaring lion looking for its prey to devour. Take a, a decisive stand against him and resist his every attack with strong, vigorous faith. For you know that your believing brothers and sisters around the world are experiencing the same kinds of troubles you endure. See, you're not the only one enduring troubles. We all endure troubles and tribulations and trials and circumstances. And maybe my circumstances I endure are different than yours. But you know what? The devil's a liar. Jesus has already came that we might have a, a more abundant life, an overflowing life, a prosperous life. I'm not going to worry about my trials. I'm not going to worry about what they say the outcome of these trials might be because those, these are not my outcome. If you're worried about an outcome that's not your outcome, then you're crazy. So if it's not going to be my outcome, I don't need to think about it. I don't got to research it. I don't got to look at all the anti-testimonies out there. What is an anti-testimony? Well, that's people tell, telling me, well, you know what? I got this certain disease and look where I'm at now and I'm all crippled and, and decrepit and, you know, barely living life. Well, that's not life more abundant. That's not the life that Jesus planned for me. I, you know, I've never gone to a hospital in a, where, where I've um, actually thought, man, these people are living life abundantly. <laughs> Laying in their bed there. You realize they're not even getting any rest. 
If you want to get rest, you got to get out of the hospital because if you're in the hospital, they come and bug you all the time. I'm here to tell you. They're going to come at three in the morning and take your blood. You know, I was in the hospital for, for a while when, I, when my brain tumor, and they kept coming at three in the morning to take my blood. I, I actually, because I'm, I'm a different kind of person than most people, after about the third day in a row, I'm like, is there something magical about three in the morning? Is my blood like different at three in the morning? Is there, I mean, can't we wait till seven? All right. Three o'clock in the morning, a perfect blood time. You know. So the reasoning was, and obviously technology is a lot faster than it was. Uh, the other day, I, I went in because uh, the doctors had ordered a blood test. Before I ever got in my car, I had the MyChart thing. And they already had some results. I mean, you know, I check out. I mean, I, I gave the blood, and then I actually, I gave my blood. Then I went to my doctor's appointment, um, you know, and, but they already had, res- no, no, I guess I didn't. I, actually, I gave blood, and the next day I had a doctor's appointment. But I already had some results, and then more results came in later. But the reason they came at three in the morning, because this was in the 80s, and it took longer to process your blood. And you know what? They t- the, finally, the, the, the nurse said, well, the reason we do this is so at shift change, and the doctors come in in the morning time to, to do the rounds, that, that we'll have your blood work done. That's why it was three in the morning. All right? I'm like, can we do it at midnight? Um, you know. But anyway, it is what it is. But I'm here to tell you, the devil is going to try to steal from you, but he'll try to steal your joy as well. And he'll, he'll try to tell you, you know what? It's not going to work. You're not going to make it. But that's when you have to know what the Bible says. The Bible says that you're going to make it. You're going to get through. It, it's, it's, it's all temporal. I mean, this is, this is a temporary situation. It's not a permanent situation. You know, that's why we don't have to worry about it. If something was permanent, we might be worrying about it, but it's temporary. Just temporary. All right. Now, it goes on to say, um, you know, James 1, 5. I'll read this from the New Living because it's in my notes right here. It says this. If you need wisdom, ask our generous God and he will give it to you. He will not rebuke you for asking. So if you're dumb and you need wisdom, then just ask him. All right, now in this situation, the reason that James points out if you need wisdom, because a lot of times when, it, when we're enduring circumstances, we need, we need God to direct our path and to tell us what we need to do. All right, and how to do it. But now James points out if you need wisdom, you can ask and don't feel stupid for asking. You know, there is, I mean, you're able to ask. In fact, Jesus even tells us to ask over um, in, over in, um, I have it, John 14, 13, Jesus said, red letters, you can ask for anything in my name and I will do it so that the son can bring glory to the father. Yeah, yes, ask me for anything in my name and I will do it. So Jesus tells us twice, if there's anything that we need, we can ask him. So anything actually includes wisdom. But what I want to point out, because some people don't get it, you can ask for more than just wisdom. Wisdom's one thing you can ask for. Actually, I believe a lot of dumb people should ask for more wisdom. 
A lot of Christians should ask for more wisdom. Actually, you know, that's, um, um, you know, some people, I know, I, I got this as a young teenager. I, I always think different than most people, all right? You know, actually, at one point in time, because before I was 12, I had a career path, all right? You're like, how do you have a career? Because everyone kept saying, Craig, you're going to be a minister. I'm like, no. If you grew up in the ministry, you don't want to be a minister. You see all the, you see the bad, the, the bad part. If you're, if, you're, if you're a PK, you've seen all, you see all the negative things. And you're like, man, I don't want to deal with that. I, and I didn't want to deal with that, you know. So, um, so my career path at a young age was um, fireman, policeman. All right. It's an easy thing. I was going to say garbage man, but I figured that, you know, that might really freak people out. So, um, so my career path, fireman, policeman, that, that was my career path. And then I reached 12. And then I was, I'm not, I'm not saying I was praying about it because probably wasn't praying about it. Just, just hit me one day. I got a new career path. You know what it is? I'm going to be a millionaire. You can do that many ways. You can go on TV, answer a bunch of questions, be a millionaire, but that's one way. Not the only way. Um, but so people say, well, Craig, what are you going to do to be a millionaire? I'm like, I don't care. <laughs> what do you mean you don't care? Well, I don't care what I have to do to be a millionaire. I'm just going to be a millionaire. What, whatever it is. You know, I don't know if some of you remember it. When, whenever I was a teenager, someone came up with a awesome invention. It was a octopus with sticky, sticky stuff on it. And you throw it at the wall and it kind of rolls down your wall and your parents get mad because it leaves sticky stuff on the wall. That person became a millionaire selling sticky octopuses. So don't tell me you can't become a millionaire. But then, I mean, this is my... Th- train of thought. I'm, I'm actually, I, I'm pretty, I'm telling you my whole train of thought, you know, I'm, I'm, I'm pretty impressed. I did this at a young age. So when I, I was like 13 or 14, I decided, well, I need wisdom to become a millionaire. So I started praying and I, this is God's honest truth. I started praying for wisdom beyond my years. Because see, if I pray for money, money's one thing. You know, they give people, you know, people win the, the lotto, win a million dollars, and they lose it all within a few years. But if you have wisdom and knowledge, you, you, you can acquire wealth and you can keep your wealth because you're, you're not dumb. You have wisdom. All right, so I just prayed for wisdom beyond my years. Um, you know, so then at 17, God called me to the ministry, right back to where I started. I never got to invent some stupid little game that people might play and make me a million dollars. I probably could, but I still don't have time. I'm too busy. So anyway, um, no, you know, actually something that I figured out, people are more important than money. It doesn't matter how much money you have. I mean, you know, 
people, in fact, that's why people that have a lot of money, they, then they start, they start giving it away make, because it makes, they feel happy because they, they help somebody else. And you know, that, that's what it's really, it's, more, it's about people. In fact, the, the Bible says to seek for the kingdom of God and then all these riches will be added to you. So forget about the money and concentrate on the people. God will take care of you. Problem is some of you are so selfish that all, you, all you're worried about is you and your family, but there's a lost and dying generation out there that needs somebody to tell them something. Um, you know, or maybe you're just going to child tribulations and you keep taking care of your, your cares keep staying with you. So you don't have any time. But, you know, God will get you through the situation. And if you need wisdom, ask. You need direction, ask. All right. Now let's get to James 1.6. I'm reading the New Living first. It says this. But when you ask him, so we're asking for wisdom, right? All right. But when you ask him, be sure that your faith is in God alone. See, my faith is in God. See, a lot of people ask God for something and then they proceed to tell God their suggestion on how he does it for them. God doesn't need your opinion. He doesn't need your help. He doesn't need you to tell him who to use to help with your finances or anything like that. He does, he, just put your trust in God alone. It goes on to say, do not waver for a person with divided loyalty is as unsettled as a wave of the sea that is blown and tossed by the wind. Such people should not expect to receive anything from the Lord. Their loyalty is divided between God and the world and they are unstable in everything that they do. Before we talk about it, let's, go, let's read the passage, what it says about this. It says, um, so once again, we're asking, it says, just make sure you ask, you ask empowered by confident faith without doubting that you will receive. So it says, don't doubt you're going to receive because you know you will receive. All right. For the ambient, am, 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 ambulant person believes one minute and doubts the next. Being undecided makes you become like the rough seas driven and tossed by the wind. You're up one minute and toss down the next. When you are half-hearted and wavering, it leaves you unstable. Can you really expect to receive anything from the Lord when you are in that condition? So where's what I'm gonna tell you? Because this is where a lot of Christians are at. When you're enduring the situation, now see, you know, James said back earlier, he says, you know, that we endure a situation, but then it says that we come out perfect wanting nothing. Why are we perfect wanting nothing? Because we know how to handle every situation. All right. But when you're enduring the situation, what a lot of Christians is, is they get on the seesaw of faith. Anyone remember the seesaw? It goes up and down and 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 up and down. And that's where your faith is. It's up and down. Now, the reason it goes up and down is, is because the devil is a liar. And the devil is going to not only tell you, but he's going to use people to give you absolute facts that counteract your faith. In fact, if there's too many people giving you too many facts, maybe you should not talk to them anymore. And at least for a season, I'm not talking, because what happens is 
there's facts and there's faith. All right? And if you look at facts and, you know, like I said, I didn't want to research what FSGS does because I don't need the facts. Those facts were not good. I I don't need to hear about something that's not going to happen to me. Well, what happens is people try to give you the anti-testimonies. Once again, they're just trying to tell you the facts. And, and you know, we, we live in a world where, where, where we, we, need, we, we need to understand facts, but you know what? The fact of the matter is Jesus Christ came that we might have life and have it more abundantly. And we're going to make it through this situation every time. So there's no reason to seesaw up and down Number one, that's anti the definition of faith. Webster's New World Dictionary, yourdictionary.com says that faith um, is an unquestioning belief without any proof or evidence. So I don't need proof. I don't need evidence. I just stand strong in faith. Now, when the devil tries to attack my mind, that's when I have to put on the mind of Christ. Because the mind of Christ doesn't think that you're going to go under the mind of Christ doesn't think that, that ever, you know, it, you're not going to make it. The mind of Christ knows you're, you, you, you've already made it so you can have joy and peace in the middle of your circumstances. It's just, it's just that simple. But what happens is, is a lot of people, you know, they say, well, okay, find the scripture to stand on. Has anyone ever heard, you heard that? Well, a lot of people are standing on this scripture. James 1.8. All right. It says, um, um, hang on, let me go to the actual Bible. I'm looking at my notes here. It, it says this, such people, this is, um, this is James 1, 7. Such people should not expect to receive anything from the Lord. If you're, if you're on seesaw faith, you shouldn't expect to receive anything from God. That's what the Bible says. It says, but when you ask, be sure that your faith is in God alone. Do not waver for a person with divided loyalty is unsettled as a wave of the sea that's blown and tossed by the wind. Such people should not expect to receive anything from the Lord. Well, so that says if you're having seesaw faith, you shouldn't expect to receive. Until you get off the seesaw and quit doubting, you're not going to receive anything. So the reason you're enduring a longer time is because you've been seesawing with your faith. Now, faith is an unquestioning belief. So if you're asking a question, you're not in faith. You have to get in faith and you have to stay there. And I know people say, yeah, but this, but that, but all these kind of things. They try to make excuses of how tough it is and how hard it is. Once again, we read there from First Peter that there are a lot of other people that experience the same situation. Do you realize... Um, the economy is the same for everyone in this room. Everyone in this room is facing the same economic crisis. And some people say, well, well, this person makes more than I do. But you know what? The American way is whatever you make, you spend. Their budget's higher than yours is too, probably during the month. You know? Now I know they could, they could cut out their manicures and all these kind of things or, or, or whatever, but they don't need to. Why, why, why cut something out? Because God wants us to, to have, to be blessed. All right, so well, what do we need to do? Believe. I, I liked it where it says, you know, only believe because it doesn't give us another option. 
When it says only believe, it means only believe. It doesn't mean to stop believing. Um, you know, so get off the seesaw. Now, most people do not speak, do not preach faith from, from this verse. Maybe because, I mean, but, and, and so some people never see it. They never realize it. But what I want, homework is homework. Next time that you start to doubt, I want you to remember you're on the seesaw and get off of it. If you don't know what a seesaw is, because I don't know if they still have seesaws because they're probably dangerous. <laughs> Everything they had when I was a kid was dangerous. You know, can't do that. You know, that, that's dangerous or whatever. Yeah, I mean, I guess we were daredevils in the 70s and 80s, you know. We stood up in the back of a pickup. <laughs> Obviously, I had no seatbelts on. And, you know, it wasn't good enough just to sit there quietly. We had to stand up and put our hands on top of the cab or something. Well, we're driving down the highway. Because we live life dangerously in the set. You know, but we, we made it. You know, not only did we not have car seats, we didn't have seatbelts. And if you were a seatbelt, you were a nerd. Anyone remember those days? I mean, you know, I mean, you, people make fun of people wearing a seatbelt. I mean, you know, I mean, I, I remember because, you know, they had them in some of our cars at some point in time, you know, you know, and I remember there's one of my, one of my friends, Greg Thomas, he always wore a seatbelt. And then I would, you know, everyone would call him a nerd. And then if I rode in this car, I kind of felt bad if I didn't put my seatbelt on. Now at the time they didn't have those little things telling you, you, you didn't have that little ding, 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 ding thing. You didn't have to wear a seatbelt. Wasn't the law or whatever, you know, now everyone wears a seatbelt. People get smarter. They ask for wisdom. God gives them wisdom. Um, you know, but you're going to make it. You're going to make it. You're going to get through. You know, I, I know that there might be some times where, where it seems like you're enduring for too long. Hey, anyone, anyone that's ever played sports... You know, even though every game is only four quarters or, or, or whatever, it, it's always a, the same time limit. There are some games it seems like, man, is this game going to ever end? I mean, I mean, I'm in the fourth quarter and I'm 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 tired. You know, or, or Dad always uses track examples, and I've been there before. I did run track at one point in time in my life. Actually, I had a five twenty-eight mile at one time in my life. You know, that was like two weeks ago. No, I'm just kidding. Um, <laughs> Seventh grade. Anyway, um, I was skinny in the seventh grade, believe it or not. You know, so I ran a 528 mile. Um, but, you know, you, if you're running track or whatever, and you get to the very end and you're giving it everything you got. I mean, you're, you're about to fall over, but you keep going. And you keep going. Because you know what? If you stop, you're not going to win. Well, here's the thing. When it comes with, with God... You, as long as you keep going, you, you're, you're going to win. You're going to make it. You're going to get through. The only way you lose is to stop. 
is to give up, is to throw in the towel. That's the only way you lose. Or get your reliance off God. As long as you put your reliance on God, as long as you trust him, as, as long as you believe him, as, as long as you trust the word, you're going to make it. So I'm here to tell you, trials, tribulations, circumstances will come. But it's just another opportunity. Another opportunity to have joy. Or my grandfather used to say, you know, I, I actually, he would talk about sometimes that my grandmother would talk about some facts to him on some things going on. And she would say, well, honey, what are we going to do? And she, he said, it's just another opportunity to show that our faith works. So it's another opportunity to, to have joy, to show that faith works, because in the end, there'll be a testimony. All right, it's, it's really that simple. It's not hard, but you have to change your attitude. You have to change your thinking. Quit looking at something that's not going to happen. I want to say it over and over again. I know the fact says this. I'm not, you know, there are times that you need facts. And there's times, you know, and, and sometimes, let me say this. Sometimes you need the facts so you can use your faith. All right. I always encourage you, everyone. I mean, if you're sick in your body, go to the doctor, find out what's wrong with you. Because then you can target your faith. On that particular thing, I mean, I've gone over time, but I want to say this one thing because there was a a minister that was having so-called heart problems, was believing God that his heart was fine, his heart was fine. Finally, he's gotten a little, he was a little worried, concerned. His, his, His wife finally drug him to the doctor, found out that he's got his prayer. His heart was fine. The problem was the pain wasn't from his heart. It's from his stomach. He was having like heartburn. So he was believing God for something that he didn't need to believe God for. He needed to believe God for his stomach, not his heart. But he didn't know that until he went to the doctor to find out where to focus his face on. And, you know, they gave him some medicine and then he changed his, what, what, he was, what he was saying. Then he started claiming that his stomach was fine. That this heartburn will go away. You know, so... It, it, it's okay to go to a doctor. It's okay to take medicine too. By the way, some people, I, I can't take any medicine or whatever. You know, um, I, I heard, actually this was at camp meeting. I, um, I heard brother um, John Osteen, and for some of you younger people, that's Joel's dad. He spoke at camp meeting. He says, I take my heart medicine every day because it's gonna keep me alive until I receive my complete healing. He goes, I'm not using it, I'm using it as a tool. And I'm not, I don't put my trust in the medicine, I put my trust in God. All right? And so, um, you know, I know my grandfather always thought one of the best things that ever was prayer and medicine working together was Christian doctors, was doctors that not only pray for you, but, you know, prescribe, prescribe medicine to you, but they also pray for you as well. Amen. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, we just thank you. We praise you. We magnify your name. We thank you, Father, that each and every 
time that we go through a situation where we're facing troubles and trials that we know that we can count it all joy. We can have joy. We can be joyful. We can be happy because we already know the outcome before the end of the battle. We thank you, Father, that you're helping each and every one of us. And we thank you that the next time that we face a situation, a circumstance that we may not know what to do, we thank you, Father, that we will we are put our, our worries and, and our problems over to God and we'll let God take care of them and we'll continue to have joy. We'll continue to stay in faith. We'll get off the seesaw faith. We'll continue to believe and trust in you and everything will be okay. Everything, we, we will make it. We, we will get through it. We will make it to the other side. But Father God, we thank you today, this morning. As we're here in, in, in this church, we thank you, Father. If there's anyone here that does not know Jesus Christ as their Lord and Savior, we thank you that today they will make them Lord and Savior of their life. With heads bowed and eyes closed, if you're here this morning and you say, Craig, I don't know Jesus. I don't have a personal relationship with Jesus. And I want to today. Lift your hand. We want to pray with you. Or maybe here today and... My grandfather always talked about having a no-so experience. Maybe you don't know whether you've ever been saved or not. Um, you know, if you don't know, today you can know. You can ask him to become Lord and Savior of your life. If that's you, lift your hand. Or maybe you're here this morning and you say, Craig, man, I know what it is to be a Christian. I walked with God for many, many years, but I've kind of turned my back and I went away. I want to publicly today make a rededication before him. If that's you, lift your hand across the auditorium cross the orders for them. Anyone here that, that needs to be saved or wants to rededicate their life to God or wants to have a no-so experience. Or maybe here this morning and you say, Craig, I'm saved. I'm a child of God, but I've never been filled with the Holy Spirit. Acts 2, 4 said they're all filled with the Holy Spirit and begin to speak with other tongues as the Spirit gave them utterance. If you've never received that Pentecostal experience, it's for you today. And it's not a scary thing. It's a great thing. It's an extra endowment from power from on high. And if that's you, you've never received the infilling of the Holy Spirit, lift your hand. We want to pray with you across this auditorium. Amen. I don't see any hands. Father God, we just thank you right now. If anyone is here in this room that, that, that's not saved, we thank you, Father, for bringing laborers across their path on a daily basis. And we thank you in advance that they will be saved, that they, that, that they will accept Jesus Christ as their Lord and as their Savior. Have something you want to sing? And you said, and I believe, you said.